quite some time. I always look forward to the time I can be with my my uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the flesh, as well as my mom, and uh, where they can keep me humble by recounting every embarrassing story that they can think of. I think that they think that that's our purpose in life, is to keep each other humble. But anyway, uh, and maybe that is in some ways. But most or more than that, it's just I remember the times through the years that we've touched base before and talked about either personal evangelism or Christian growth. And so it is this time as well. Uh, I've been asked or tasked with uh, accumulating a, a systematic teaching, if you will, kind of talking about Christian maturity, about, about growing as a Christian, about what that looks like and how to get there. You know, it's not just growing in knowledge or remembering facts. It's really developing a way of thought, a way of relating to our world in which we live. And so it is that we, whenever we want to talk about something that complex and how to add virtue and knowledge and get everything all sorted out in a step-by-step -step process of growth so that we can see and measure growth, we have to start somewhere. And we have to start, I believe, with the nature of God. You know, whenever you talk with people about the nature of God and who God is and what he's like, it's all over the world. They, they have all kinds of gods. They have gods of fear or gods that are supposed to be fear. And they have gods that are not that great and uh, gods that fail. And, they, and sometimes they have so many gods that we fail to grasp all of the different ones that are there, and, and it, it all becomes a jumbled mess. And, but it, that happens in the life of people, too. They can't relate to all those different gods, and so their, their sense of purpose and their sense of, of what man is about and what he's supposed to do and how to please God all comes from who we think God is to begin with. There was a little boy that he, he was asked about God. He says, what do you think about God? You know, And he goes, oh, God is so awesome. He is so amazing. You know, He is just beyond what I thought of, even, as, even whenever I was a little younger. He says, I, I am just so amazed. He said, my mother told me the other day, look at how, God, how much God created with everything, with one, with one hand. God just had one hand and he made all of this stuff. His mother stopped and says, why are you saying God made all of this with one hand? And he said, well, in the Bible, doesn't it say that whenever God sat down on his throne, Jesus sat on his right hand? And this kid had an idea. He had gotten an idea about God, that God made everything while Jesus was sitting on his right hand. And he wasn't able to use that to create things. Well, that's, that's a very simplistic mistake. But yet the same thing is true with people today. They've read certain verses about God. And their God isn't necessarily only one-dimensional, but he's very short. He doesn't have many facets to him. Because they've only heard verses that talk about one or two, three, or three aspects of the character and the nature of God. 
So they've never really studied to find out what God is like and and why they should fear him and what what he's like at, at all. In fact, God even talks about how men sometimes can make this mistake. As we're going to look tonight, he says, you thought I was altogether like you. We sometimes attribute to God the attitudes of men. And this is such a mistake whenever we make that kind of mistake. And so we do need to start at the beginning. We need to start on making God properly fit into our our mind, not in this postmodern world where God is everything to everybody. And, and, uh, you know, we we oftentimes, as I said, misunderstand because God is so not multifaceted. He's only got one or two aspects to his nature. Somebody said one time, would you worship a God that drove people out? Uh, of, of a temple with a whip? No, I wouldn't worship a god like that. My god is nice. <laughs> well, that's what we have today. We have a whole culture, a whole generation that says, you know, oh, you got, you have a mean god. I have a nice god. And we're talking about the same god. How do we get this? This messed up about the nature of God. Well, we just pick the verses that show us the God that we like. And we don't look at all of it for truth. We don't try to to incorporate it all together. Look at Romans 11. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans 11 right quick. Notice he's talking about uh, the Gentiles being grafted into the, the body of Christ. There's a lot going on in this passage. Uh, Verse 22. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now, you have to interpret this passage in its context and what he's talking about there. But it's obvious in this passage that there seems to be a spectrum about the nature of God's relationship with man. It's not all kindness. It's not all severity. Behold the goodness and the severity. He's both of those things. If we do what is right, we have no reason to fear. If we do what is wrong, fear. There's a principle like that. And the scriptures talking about the governments and the laws of the land. But the same thing applies to the law of God as well. If we do what is right and what is good, we have no reason to fear. Uh, To fear as far as absolute terror. But if we do what is wrong, we should have a terror of God. We should have trouble sleeping at night. And so let's make sure that our imagination, and by the way, God did create our imagination. He knew that we are limited uh, sometimes to things. And so he talks about things outside of our ability to comprehend. He talks about how the riches of God are sometimes beyond what we're able to to grasp and and, and the nature of God in that way. And I, I tell people that a, a lot of times. You know, the Bible talks about this in heaven, that heaven is beyond. The book of Revelation gives us a painting of it. But it doesn't depend, it's not dependent upon the painter to give us a picture of heaven and the nature of our hope. We've got to realize it's beyond what man is able to even create. 
from these passages. It's beyond, don't put God in a box. We're going to, I'm going to say that quite a few times during this lesson as well. But let's go on. God has always, a man has always made God in his image. In Romans 1, verse 18, we find that although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Now, here we go. In other words, they knew God was God, but they didn't like that God, so they didn't want to glorify. What does the word glorify mean? Well, the word glorify is the same principle that's found whenever we point out the, the excellencies of God. We make known the excellencies of God. What does that mean? It means we point out the virtues of God, and we say, is this God great? Look at what he did. Look at how he behaved. Look at the suffering. Look at the cost. Look at the love. We say, look, it's beyond what man can comprehend. That's God. He is excellent. He is worthy of praise. We, we, we should understand that is our purpose, is to extol the excellencies of God. Well, these people don't. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God. They didn't want people to really be awestruck in his presence, but became vain, they, but neither were they thankful. By the way, the more I study and the more you study as well, you're going to find out that thankful, thanklessness, people who fail to give appreciation for the things that they have in this life and the way they view and appreciate things around them, if they fail to appreciate that, they think they deserve it, you're going to find a person that is not going to appreciate God. God? Well, yeah, I'm glad God's there so he can answer my prayer. It's all about them. They're very self-centered, narcissistic. And that's a very sad kind of religion whenever people are without thankfulness. You need to practice thankfulness. If you don't have a thankful heart, you need to develop one. You need to start appreciating all that God's had because he doesn't have to give it to you. You don't deserve heaven. None of us deserve heaven. In fact, that's one of the most critical things that I think we need to understand about God. God loves us. And he wants us to go to heaven. But you and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 6 says. We don't deserve heaven. We cannot demand heaven. We can't insist on it. Heaven does not reflect, the cross does not reflect my value. My value, it doesn't reflect my value. It reflects God's grace. It reflects his character. The cross does not demonstrate your worth. The cross, the cross demonstrates the grace of God, the unmerited favor. In other words, the cross is a demonstration of how God loves you despite your unworthiness. Let's look at it honestly. And so that's what we're talking about. We people, we need to be more thankful and grateful. And I'll be more thankful if I don't run into that. Okay. <laughs> Birds and four-footed beasts and animals and creeping things. The, this is why God, that men often turn to idolatry is because their view of God was something that was amazing to them. Birds can fly. Man can't. That must be really amazing. God must be like a bird. And so we begin to compare them to animals and that they could do things we couldn't do. And so we begin to put God into all of these kind of 
fascinating things when we try to create a God that has all of these images going around in our head. Notice, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. If your God is nothing more than a creature that is like you, your God is too small. Your God is too human. Your God is not divine. And we need to understand you've made a God that is not the real God. It may look like men, but it's not God at all. God, man has always made God in his image, in our image. Men gave God their human form and human weaknesses and limitations. This is supposed to be a picture of Zeus. We find you shall not make for yourselves. He warned, he wanted to keep the idolatry out of the out of the with with the children of Israel so much. He said, I don't want you to have any art. I don't want you to make any image like in the birds above, on the earth, under the earth. I don't want you to make anything because you're going to be tempted to fall down and worship it. Notice that in heaven above, earth beneath, or the water underneath, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity upon the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. We are not to look as God as our equal. You know, whenever our prayers turn to being so friendly with God that we fail to appreciate his position, we have profaned God. Profaned means we've used his God and we can use the name of God or use the notion of God in an unholy way. And that's what profane means, to take God's name and use it in a secular way, in a, in a bad sort of way. And so, when, when I heard a prayer one time where somebody got up and said, Morning, Dad. How are things going? That was supposed to be a prayer. I'm sorry. You don't address the God, the Father of the universe, in that kind of language. He is not likened unto our earthly Father in that way. We find that we must not look upon our God as being any way like us. But sometimes we have to have some image. But where does this image come from? How magnificent, how excellent is it? Or is it nothing more than the common, he's like somebody around us? There's been several books lately that that's all they do is tell God is like the God in the shack. God's like the guy down the street. He's like the bum. He's like this. And My friends, no. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, God says. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. You thought I was like you. Now, anytime we think that God is lenient because he's old, then you've been looking at the wrong pictures. Anytime we think he's just an old grandfather or an old man, we think of God that way. My friends, the Bible is an old book. There's no doubt about that. But God is ever new. He is everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. When we meet God, you know, I, I sometimes think, well, maybe it's going to be like in Star Trek. He'll be some futuristic kind of God. And he'll go, man, you guys just really messed it up. You thought I was old and, you know, like I was riding around in chariots and stuff. All those words were just words trying to use to express my nature. Well, sometimes that is our problem. Sometimes we do think 
that God is antique. But that's not it. You thought I was all together like you. That's a mistake. Notice. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the good things to those who ask him? Here a parallel is made to our earthly fathers. And he says, a father generally knows how to take care of his children. He wants and he desires to give good gifts to his children. And so we think, wow, God wants to give me what I want prayer. That's not what this passage is saying. It's talking about God's desire for men. He wants what's best for us. And so he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He wants what's best for us. So, I know that when God answers my prayer, I can be thankful if he answers it in accordance with my will. And whenever God says no, I also can be thankful because I know that's in accordance with his will. And I also, he knows me better than I know me. And he may know that if he gives me what I ask for, it may cause this to be a stumbling block for me. And I may fall away from him. And he doesn't want that. It's kind of like giving a child a screwdriver and telling them, now don't plug it into that outlet over there. <laughs> what do we think is going to happen? Well, that child is going to be tempted. And so sometimes God says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give you what you want because what you want is going to contribute to your sin. You're going to consume it upon your lusts and your desires should be in accordance with the Father's made. Now, why did God make you the way you are? Did he make you so that you could lust? Did he make you so you could have just pleasure? Did he make you so that you could just be happy? God made me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. Nowhere does the Bible say God wants you to be happy. Did you know that? Nowhere. Well, what does it mean? What, what, God, what, what does God want, want from me? God wants me to be holy. He wants me to be holy. And if being holy means I have to repent of sin, if being holy means I have to die, then that's what being holy means. God didn't say he made me to be happy. He made me to be holy. And let's get the right view of God. I talk to people every day who said, you know, your God is just the most egotistical God I know. He wants people to get together in church and just sing his praises. It's all about him, isn't it? Yeah. No. You know what? God doesn't want me just to get around. God says, I don't need what you have to offer. We're going to notice that more in just a minute. But God wants us to be thankful. He wants us to have a proper view of him. So once again, I want to reiterate, it's very important how you view God. It's very important how you view him. Do you view him as your servant, your genie in a bottle? And that's what prayer is, is just what you can ask everything of him, and he'll give you what you want so that you can be happy? Or is there something more going on here? Well, there is something far more going on here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts. Then your thoughts, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. 
for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor, Micah says. They do not, they don't go to the Bible to try to understand the thoughts and the mind of God, although that's why it was written, is to give us the mind of Christ and the mind of God in the Bible. Jesus Christ's life is an example for us, but we don't try to, we try to see if we can find loopholes instead of see if we can understand God from what he's revealed, from his teachings. My friends, every command God gave us reflects something about his nature. You should know that before you even read anything about doing or not doing God's will. You've got to have an understanding of the entire concept of why God revealed righteousness and unrighteousness. It isn't because he just wanted to give us a test. I wonder if they can do it. Watch them try. No. That's not what commands are for, is to give us a, you know, let us try and just keep us humble because we can't keep it perfect. That's not what it's about. All of these things reveal aspects, facets of the nature of the character of our God. There are some modern day examples of men making God in his image. God is not a man. He is thus not capable of, of these shortcomings. God does not keep his word. You know, look, it's been a long time. God, If God's coming, he should have come back right now. Look how bad it is. Well, you can look at it that way. Or you can look at how much, how good it is. How many opt, how ease travel is now. How able to, we're able, more able to communicate God's word faster and better than any other time in history. In fact, if you want to be scared about something, that to me is more concerning because we're able to spread the gospel over the whole world and get to everybody. That might make us all accountable. <laughs> the ending might become when God says, well, finally they did it. Everybody does know. <laughs> Everybody has access to the knowledge of what is righteousness and unrighteousness. Perhaps this is a sign that the Lord has finally made it available to everyone everywhere that anybody wants to know. They can and will find it if they want it. Well, we, we, time, we really just blame God. God's not able to. God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. Be thankful. As that old song goes, be thankful for unanswered prayer. Haven't you ever looked back and said, man, if God had answered that another way, what a mess my life would be in today. You know that. But a lot of times our appreciation comes far later. We'd rather first question like Job, Job's friends do. Job, you must have done something bad or this wouldn't happen. No. And all this, Job says, I don't understand. And God said, all this you did, you didn't blame me, so I was glad for that. Well, our thoughts about God, do we think God is like man? That God doesn't keep his words? That's what his friends wanted. It, Job, you either did it or God doesn't keep his... No, that's not it. There's another answer, and maybe you just don't know what it is. Maybe it's something else on down the line. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. He says, don't listen. Every man when he's tempted, he's tempted by... But he says, don't, don't, don't think when you're tempted. I'm tempted by God. God isn't tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt man that way. 
Look, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape also, that we may be able to endure it. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us. We've got to look for the way to escape. We trust his word. God's kept his word, and i got to keep mine. Am I going to be faithful to him? There must be a way to escape here. I just haven't found it. God does not forget. Well, wait a minute. I thought God does forget. God does forget legally. And I I don't know how to explain this, but whenever you give it meditation, sometimes it's when this really becomes clear how that God doesn't hold anything against us legally anymore, but God forgets it. We say the, the law is forgiven it. Well, that's true. If God says, I forget it, I'll forgive you. But that doesn't mean God doesn't understand every strife, every trial you go through, every time, all of the pain and suffering that you endure. God is not going to forget those things. God's going to bring them into his remembrance. He's going to bring all things into judgment. God does not forget everything, but he will not hold it against us any longer. God will not legally hold us accountable for our sin anymore because he's forgiven us. He has paid the debt. And I'm so thankful for that. God has paid that debt for sin. God will, God's will cannot be hindered by man. Now this is where we get into fighting today about A.K. Richardson. And I've been talking about free will lately. And if you look on there, he's He's been debating with some people about free will. And there's a lot of people who say that if man has true free will, then we can hinder the will of God. You may be able to hinder your God, but you're not going to hinder my God. My God can create a world with men with free will and still accomplish his will. (laughs) There is no contradiction. God can accomplish what he set out to do no matter what man may do. He may have to go around us, through us, over us, or whatever. But God can accomplish his will. God will accomplish his will. And so we need to trust him and not grow weary. Not think that God is weak in any way like other men are. Don't do that. God's will cannot be hindered by man. Number two, God mellows with age. We've already alluded to this. For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. O sons of Jacob, Malachi 3.6. Some people say, well, God does change. Sooner or later, he grows weary. I'm sure he gets tired. Sooner or later, he just gets a little inconsistent. He just gets like old, you know, your mom. You keep going, mom, 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 mom. Sooner or later, he's going to go, what? Or give in. God will never give in to sin. God will never say it's okay. <coughs> Don't think all you all God needs is a bad memory and you and you made it to heaven. God's going to remember every word. Notice Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means, by the way, it doesn't mean that His covenant never changes because the Bible prophesied that it would, and He did. Well, God does change some things. The Bible says about prayer, about a king. Pray. I pray the Lord. I told him to go back and say, give him 15 more years of life because it changed my 
Well, wait a minute. If God doesn't change, how can he say he doesn't change and yet he does change? God's character never changes. His morality, his ethics never changes. His will changes often. God can change his mind about things. God can want, hold you accountable for sin and tell you repent. And then he changes his mind and give you grace and give you mercy. God can change his mind. Whenever it's talking about God never changing, it's talking about his moral code. It's talking about who he is in essentiality is. That's what never changes. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow in turning. Now, this is a difficult term, James 1. is hard to translate into our language. Whenever it says variation or shadow turning, what the translators are dealing with is a Greek word which means, and I'm just going to give you the sense of it. What it's saying is he is the source of light, so much so that there's no shadow in him. Nothing, nothing else is brighter that causes God to cast a shadow. In him there is no shadow. He is the light. He is the center. He is the source of all light. And in him there is no shadow. And he casts no shadow. There's not anything that's brighter than him. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Because the translators are really having a difficult time with this verse, trying to get us to understand what's been trying to be said here about him. God is the source of righteousness and unrighteousness. And you can't get a source of righteousness that's outside of God to the point that it can be so bright, so truthful, that it causes God to cast a shadow. It's brighter than God in some way. No, there's no variation or shadow in turning. God can be fooled, man says. God sees and knows everything. He does. God's eyes are in every place. God cannot be fooled. God sees through all the games and all the tricks we are to play. And I'm just going to go through quickly this. God sees what's in our heart. He sees the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. You know, how many times have you, have you said... You know, I wish we could make this a game where I don't have to really, you know, fight with my will, or I don't have to struggle with my friends or anything else. I've had one person come up to me and said, Glenn, I got it. I want you to baptize me, but the minute I rise up out of the waters, I want you to shoot me. That way I'll go right straight to heaven and I won't ever have to mess with it. Have you ever thought that? Or have you had a friend say that to you? Yeah, that's the way to make it to heaven. I don't ever have to deal with it. Just shoot me right after I baptize. And I go, hey, what about me? I've got to find repentance for shooting you. And right now, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> you know, what, what are we talking here? Well, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on. We try to play these little mind games with God. I'm sorry, stop playing that. God knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. He knows when you're playing games with him. As I read some of the famous... <clears throat> Infamous, famous atheists of our day. It's amazing how many mind games they play, thinking they can get away with it with God. And that's God's not going to. It's not going to give in one moment with them. You think you're smart? Just, just don't try to outsmart God. He's going to have you for lunch. 
But anyway, God can be bribed. There are many, many people that believe this about God. God, I know I've done a lot of things bad, but look at all the good things I've done. Sure, you don't send somebody who's done this much good to hell for that little stuff. We think our good deeds cannot make, or can make God overlook our evil deeds. That's not how grace works. Grace comes whenever we look flat at our sins and say that is not in keeping with the character of God. He did not design me to commit sin. God did not give me my body so that I could commit fornication with it. My body is the Lord's, and I can't take it and make it in fellowship with the heart. That's the whole argument that he's making. Don't try to play games with this. God did not create you with your desires. None of your desires are evil in of themselves. But when you desire evil with that desire, then that's on you. That is your problem. Whenever you look at money, money's not the problem. The love of money's the problem. See, that's the problem. It's how we deal with our desires. I talked to a young man one time. I said, listen, you've got to get over your lust of women. God made them so beautiful. It's really, whenever I look at their beauty, it's really God's fault if I sin just want to step away from somebody like that going, the lightning is coming. <laughs> just kind of, you're really trying to blame God for your sin. God knew there were beauty in the world. And he told you, look away. If it's not your wife, don't look. If it's not your property, don't covet. If you can't buy it, don't steal it. Just because somebody else has something that you don't have doesn't give you the right to steal it, covet it, buy it, envy it, or be covetous or anything of the sort. God expects you to behave in a proper way and to do what he wants you to do and to act responsibly with your desires. And that's our responsibility. So... We can't make God overlook our sin. We can't th- say, really, it's God's fault. We are to behold both the goodness and the severity of God, as we've already read. And then we've already talked about this one. God just wants me to be happy. I'm, I'm just, I don't know where your God is, but he's not a Christian God. Now, I'm sure there's a God over in India, maybe someplace, that's the happy God. Maybe it's the cat with the little arm that goes up and down. Maybe that's the happy God. I don't know. It's always waiting. But the fact of the matter is, is that God wants us to be happy when we're pleasing him, to love him, to put him first, to be reconciled to him. We come out from the world and be separate, says the Lord, abstain from evil. These are all the things that God wants us to do. And he doesn't say they will always guarantee you happiness. In fact, they may put you into a persecution. You may die doing this. But if you seek God first, if you lay up treasure in heaven, 
Nobody can take what I have planned away from you. What I have planned is far beyond your imagination. It's far beyond what you can even comprehend for those who love him. So the point is, don't be distracted by things that twinkle, things that are shiny. Or as they say in that Disney movie, squirrel. Just don't do it. That's something that's fleshly. Don't exchange it for what is and is not God's will. This is what he wants from us. Because we are his creation. God created our bodies and our will and our desires never so that we would sin, but we would always do what is pleasing to God. And we can do please God with who we are. God is not out to get you. God does not fly off in a blind rage. There is no respect of persons with God. Now, I, this is one of the reasons why I like other translations. The term respect of persons or prejudiced or um, the word means God is not one to show partiality. I believe partiality is probably the best translation of this word this phrase that's translated respect or persons. God is not one to show partiality. Well, wait a minute. I thought God is partial toward his children. Doesn't God love me more than he loves Mr. Drunk, Mr. Person down there, my neighbor? You? God loves me more than you. No. He doesn't. <laughs> that's probably one of those humbling things that you will ever discover about the nature of God is that God loves everybody else as much as he loves you. You mean he loves them as much as... Yes. God wants them saved as much as he wants you saved. There is no one you can look down on. No one you have a right to look down on. No one ever. No matter how much they've sinned, God desires for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of his will. God truly loves everybody you will ever meet as much as he loves you. And that's humbling. It should keep you from arrogance. It should keep me from arrogance. To know. You should tell people God loves you Every bit as much as he loves me. God is not one to show partiality or be a respecter of persons, Romans 2 and verse 11. God wants everybody to be saved. We've already noticed that. Please write this down in the front of your Bible. God desires all men to be saved. And come to knowledge of truth. God takes no pleasure in the punishment of sinners. Wait a minute. I didn't know that verse was in there. God takes no pleasure in the punishment of sinners. You know, I, I saw a cartoon one time where it shows God flipping a bunch of sinners in a fry pan, going, these are about the... You know. Do you think God really delights? No. God never delights in the punishment of sinners, because he knows where they're going to go and what they're going to experience. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. 
God will not send anyone to hell then. Oh, oh, oh. is that what the Bible says? That God will send no one to hell? No. God is love, the Bible says. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. God is also righteous and just. Genesis 18 and verse 25. This is the reason why Jesus came to begin with. Not because God just got mad once. God knew what righteousness was. He knew what doing the right thing is. And he knew what doing the wrong thing is. And he told us not to do wrong and to do right. And God wants righteousness out of us. He wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to do the just thing. Because doing the unjust thing is not in the nature of God. And that's what we need to realize. God holds man accountable for his sin. Sins will be punished with eternal torment, whatever that is. And it's something that we need to be always afraid of. We need to be aware that our God is coming back, I'm not a respecter of persons, has offered grace to all men. I don't have to worry about that God pre-pick some and not pick others. No. God desires all men. We just read it. God desires all to be saved, everybody. Then why isn't everybody saved? Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Hebrews 5 and 9 says he is the author of of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. In other words, God offered a present that is truly offered to every single person you will ever meet. Tell her tonight, you can go to heaven. You, the grace of God is offered to you. I don't ever have to worry about this doctrine, human doctrine of predestination or, or uh, Calvinism. Anyway, I don't have to worry about that. I can know for certain that God will save any and everybody if they will receive his gift. The gift unreceived is not enjoyed. If I offer you the gift, I said, here, here's the gift. You can have my car. You may know my car is <laughs> No, I don't want your car. No, no, don't do that. We're talking about God. God offers us grace. He says, I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you everything. I'm offering you grace. You know what? If you don't accept that gift and unpack it for yourself, you're going to be lost. But it can't be said to be God's, God's fault. It's not God's fault. He offered it to you. You could be saved. But you chose not to receive it. And that's the problem. It's not God's Weakness. It's man's rebellion. <clears throat> it's man's rebellion. That's just simple. Tonight you could be saved, but there's something you don't want to repent of in your life. Or why won't you give yourself to him? Why don't you accept the gift and enjoy it and receive it and obey it? Receive the grace and mercy of God. You kind of, you can, well, like, I, I'd like to, but I'm still enjoying some pleasures of sin for a little while. God's in. You're going to have to appreciate what I'm offering you. I'm offering you grace tonight. Everybody, everybody has the right to hear the gospel once, but nobody has the right to hear it twice. 
My friends, it's a wonderful thing to understand God offers grace to us. To turn down that present, to turn down that gift, to turn down the grace of God is not something God's accountable for. It's man. It's your problem. If you lose your soul, it's because you rejected receiving the grace of God. That's the truth. You can't blame God for that. When you get to heaven, didn't you hear the truth? Didn't you repent of your sins, confess his name, be baptized? No, you didn't. Why not? That's the access. That's how you get access to the grace of God. In your faith, repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before men, Matthew 10, 32. And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's wonderful. You'll never earn it. Either you gain the whole world, you can't give it in exchange for your soul. You're going to have to accept the gift that's offered. And that's the gift. You've got to receive it. You've got to obey it in order to receive it. And when you do, it's yours. So, the mistake of making God in man's image means God, that we can't think God is insufficient in any way. God doesn't keep his word. Maybe he's mellowed with age. Maybe he's gotten into a, an old man. Maybe we can bribe him. Maybe he can be fooled. God just wants me to be happy. God's out to get me. God won't send anyone to help my friends. How sad. How sad indeed. Actually, God wants us to be made in the image of his son. That's what it is. Since you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, that's what his life is all about. That's what it is. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's our task. During the rest of this week, please come back and we'll layer upon this thing exactly what kind of ambitions we're supposed to have as Christians. Is it all about us or is it all about him? How are we supposed to worship him? How are we supposed to give him glory? How do I know this gives him glory? In what way do I call forth the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous night? Well, we do this by letting Jesus Christ be formed in us. That's a hint. That's a hint. You know a lot about Jesus, but how does it affect your behavior? How does it affect your attitude tonight? It's a very simple question. Are you making a God that fits with what you want, that fits with your ambitions? Or do you acknowledge that the God who made everything is a righteous God who doesn't like unrighteousness and is willing to extend grace to those who will receive it if they will repent of their sins and do those things which are pleasing in his sight? Tonight, it's very simple. It's very simple. Don't create a God. A plastic Jesus. Something that is inferior. I talked to a man finishing up this lesson right here. There's a guy I know in Colorado that was in jail. And he was talking about why should I go to your church? Why should I worship your God? Why should I do that? And this, that, and the other. How do I know this is the truth? Another. I said, does anybody else come forth from a grave? You know, come on. Let's 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 have a, a challenge of God's here. Has anybody else came forth from the grave to prove that he has the power to keep his word? No. 
I said, the problem is, is your God's too small. You know, a God that's not willing to be obeyed and served, a God that we treat and neglect, a God that we won't obey, is a God too small. And I'll tell you what, you don't know the true God. If your God is too small, if your God doesn't have many facets, he's only got one or two characters, he doesn't have the beautiful many facets of who he is. Perhaps your God can be put in a box. Perhaps your God could be bribed. Perhaps your God is just like me. You thought I was like you. My friends, my God is not. The true God is not. He's the one who made us. When we find him, find a God worth dying for and then live for him. Tonight, our God wants you to serve him. And he is worth dying for. He is an amazing God of grace. He is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is an amazingly gracious God. He is a wonderful, righteous God. He's not capricious. He's not hateful. He is a God who gives us a living hope. He is a God who gives us the chance of having all of our fears erased, to have all of our joys realized. He is a God who is amazing. But maybe you don't know him. Maybe you need to get to know him better. Tonight, we've shared the gospel. The gift is offered. Will you not receive it and obey it? While we stand and sing.